a couple of weeks ago, I was up on a stag do in Manchester or a bachelor's party for my friends across the pond. And it was like a lot of bachelor parties that I've been to, a lot of drinking, a lot of beer. Um, I knew we had a big evening coming up because we were going to a place called Pop World, which was a adult disco that just featured 90s pop music, my dream, really cheesy. And I knew we were going to be dancing a bit. And I didn't want to be drinking a lot of beer, which would, I know, make me feel heavy and lethargic. I wanted something light, refreshing, fruity. So I peek behind the bar of the pub that we're in, and something catches my eye. White Claw. I've never had one before. I've I've heard of them, obviously. I've seen them on social media. I've uh, been at parties where friends have been drinking them, but I've never had one myself. So I grab the barman's eye, and I point at the White Claw mango please and he serves it up and that kicked off a weekend of me pounding white claws it was great they were light they were refreshing Um, I was able to dance all night at pop world without skipping a beat now I know what you're probably wondering what has this got to do with category design well white claw are a great example of a brand that have done phenomenally well designing and dominating their category the category of hard seltzer They weren't necessarily the first company to create carbonated water infused with flavored alcohol, but by all accounts today, they are certainly the biggest. And their moment really came back in 2019 when a video went viral on social media created by the comedian Trevor Wallace, where he proclaimed a white claw summer and used the phrase, ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. This was a moment that White Claw were ready for to capitalize on and it ultimately led to them becoming a multi-hundred million dollar business today. I'm joined on B2B Better uh, in this episode by John Ruji, Category Design Advisor for the firm Category Design Advisors to talk about, you guessed it, category design. What does it mean in B2B? How do we implement it at scale? And what are some examples of brands that have successfully designed and dominated their own categories? Here we go. Okay, let's start here. What is category design? What we're really talking about with category design is radical differentiation. Um, It's a strategy and a framework for bringing radically new ideas into the world. And unlike kind of a traditional way of looking at business where you identify a category or a market and you think about how you capture market share within that space. Category design is about developing and claiming a new territory that you can own and dominate yourself. Did you notice that John didn't use the word creation in that explanation? Which I think it's important to note, right? Because the holy grail for any founder is to go out there and create a new category to dominate, something that Gartner whips up a new term for. But it's a dangerous game to play because creating a new category is incredibly difficult and requires a huge amount of resources to achieve if indeed what you have built is unique enough to warrant a new category being created for. What we're talking about here is category design, not being the first to market, but owning the dominant design for a developing category and putting yourself in a position to be the default choice as that category matures. So when should we be thinking about category design? It's most important when you've created something that is radically different. Note, that doesn't mean it has to be the first of its kind again. 
but something about it from its features to its pricing model to its distribution strategy that stands alone here's john explaining why there's that look thousands tens of thousands of products and ideas we have to keep track of in our brains right so when you and i encounter something new our brains take a mental shortcut and we try to group that this new thing into uh, a mental category of things that we already know, like, and understand, um, or maybe we dislike them. I don't know, but things that we, we have um, some, some uh, context for, and that's just because we don't have the time and energy to evaluate every single thing on its own merits. And that works fine. If you're creating something that's, you know, for all intents and purposes, similar to what exists in the world that serves our brains really well. But if you come out to uh a potential customer and you're talking about something radically different and you don't really give them a good narrative, something that's clear, something that punches them in the gut where they feel like this is something new that they haven't experienced or encountered before, then that mental shortcut in their brain is going to take over and they're going to evaluate you on the wrong criteria. They're going to think about how you're better or worse than some of the thing they already know. So the problem that, especially with early stage companies, the problem they come into is just buyers are confused or buyers don't care. They, they think it's interesting, but they don't understand why there's any urgency or real need to understand, especially buy this, this new product. Same with investors. If they don't understand why there's a new category of products that needs to exist in the world, that investment doesn't happen or it takes, you know, gets drawn out over months and months and months or the valuation is lower. So you run into all sorts of issues when you don't have the right framework and the right narrative to talk about what you're doing and why the difference matters. So how do we pull off massive differentiation? John cited eight category levers developed by Christopher Lockhead, marketing coach, best-selling author, and the self-proclaimed godfather of category design that brands can use to achieve radical differentiation. I asked John to break these down for me. Here he is with number one. First one that, that they teach us is a radically different benefit for a radically different problem. So that's kind of the root of what we've talked about a lot, right? You're solving a, a new problem or a radically different approach to, to something that already exists. Uh, number two is a, a radically different brand. In his article on the eight levers, Chris breaks this down as either what the brand stands for in the world to make it a better place or the branding itself. Think graphic design. Number three is a radically different experience. So um, the they use the example of Starbucks. It's a much different experience of buying a cup of coffee through Starbucks than you would through Folgers or your Keurig or any other coffee experience that, that predated those. Uh, number four, that category of pirates lists is a radically different price. And so that can be uh, not just charging more or charging less, but how you structure pricing. Number five is radically different manufacturing. So you, you sometimes you see companies, they talk about how they source ingredients or how they source components or inputs to the products. That's a part of their message and why they're different. Maybe they're solving an environmental problem or a you know, a, a social problem through the way that they produce their products. Uh, number six is radically different uh, dif distribution. Think of this as how we might distribute or sell what we offer in a unique manner, like when Amazon started to use the internet to sell books rather than asking customers to come down to a store. 
Uh, number seven is radically different marketing. How might we drive category awareness or consideration in a way that no one else does? And finally, number eight is a, a radically different profit model. Essentially, how can we make money in a way that is radically different from others? So in his article, Chris cites Steven Spielberg inking a deal with Netflix to produce his films. So he's making the money up front through the subscription fees rather than worrying about whether his latest flick is a hit at the box office. I'm going to drop a link to the article, Eight Category Levers, How to Build Massive Pacific Ocean-Sized Differentiation Moats, that John has referenced in the show notes of this episode. You should definitely check it out. It's a great primer on the eight levers of effective differentiation. And now before we move on to a short ad break, I asked John the question, do we need all eight levers of category design that he's just outlined in order to be considered radically different. Here's what he said. I think those eight levers are a good framework to keep in mind as you're going through the process. It doesn't mean you need to do all eight of those things. I'm not sure I could even think of an example where that's been the case. Maybe there's one out there, but it's more about um, which one of those approaches is going to separate you, which is, which is going to set you apart and which is most appropriate for the problem that you're trying to solve. So we were talking about like a, the way a company sources its its components or its ingredients. Um, if their problem is tied to something maybe environmental or with child labor or something else, that's entirely appropriate. And that might influence other levers. So it might influence price. Maybe they can charge more for what would be a commodity product because of that radically diff different manufacturing. Uh, maybe their marketing is different. Uh, maybe their branding and visual identity flow from that. So they're not maybe things that are done so independently, but they're done, um, there's, there's one that's more foundational than others and, the, and the, the remainder kind of follow suit. If you are a brand and you are thinking about launching your own podcast or show, but you aren't sure where to start, you can book 60 minutes with me to brainstorm some ideas and get practical advice on how to create a piece of media IP that your customers totally care about. It's absolutely free. All you got to do is visit b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment. That one's a bit wordy. I'm going to drop the link in the description of this episode. But again, b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment. We'll talk about what you need to develop, launch, and run a branded B2B podcast that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. We'll talk about what success looks like for your company in owning a podcast. We'll run through what resources you need to get started and what's possible right now. We'll develop an eight-week roadmap that will get a show live in all podcast directories and also share some actionable tips on how to position your podcast to deliver tangible ROI. So again, if you want to take that free 60-minute podcast assessment, visit b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment. So we've talked about what is category design. We've also shared some of the ways that as brands, we can think about thinking radically different within our businesses through the eight levers that John shared earlier. 
But, you know, B2B Better is all about looking at things as they exist in the real world. So I wanted John to share a couple of tangible examples of brands that are radically different in their space. And he shared the example of Partner Hacker, which, if you don't know, is a resource online whose goal it is to become the number one place for ideas, inspiration, news, and resources in the partnerships ecosystem. Here's John telling the story about how Partner Hacker is radically different. What Partner Hacker is doing is they're talking about the problems when you rely just on outbound or even just on inbound. And they're trying to paint this picture of a world where um, revenue can and should come from partnerships, people your business has relationships with. And you know, if you talk to them, bring them, you should pr- probably bring them on the show. They can go through their narrative much better than I can, but that's the gist of what they're trying to achieve. So they they talk about this new category they call nearbound. And it, again, it's this idea of generating revenue and opportunities by people you have relationships with this crossover with maybe partners and your customers. And so for them, a lot of what they're doing that's different has to do with um, the, their message, their view, their their brand and, and how they see the world. And there's people who are going to align with that way of thinking. And by extension, they're going to want to be involved in what they're doing and, and you know, work with them more closely, maybe as customers or, or partners themselves. I love this example from John, as it highlights for me a brand that has established a unique point of view and is designing a category around it. This is similar to Gong and Revenue Intelligence and HubSpot and Inbound Marketing. But remember that category design isn't always about developing a new terminology or necessarily even having a totally unique novel point of view on how the world operates or should operate. You have eight levers to choose from that we've already covered. You know, what about experience? Think about Canva. There were hundreds, thousands of graphic design tools before Canva hit the market, but it's a platform that my mum can use. She can pick up and she can start designing things straight away directly in her browser. The experience is unlike anything else. Now, coming back to Partner Hacker, some of you listening to this may come away from that story that John told thinking, well, that just sounds like unique positioning. What's the difference between category design and positioning as we understand it? This is something that I was wondering too when I was interviewing John, and here's what he said. When you look at a traditional positioning exercise, traditional positioning, the way I like to phrase it is that it um, assumes the category and it follows the product. So here's what I mean by that. When I say assumes the category, the typical way you go about that is you look at a space, pick anyone you like, any software space, conversational intelligence, whatever, project management, CRM. And your job is to figure out how you are, um, what points of differentiation exist for you within that space. So unlike other CRMs, we do X, Y, and Z, or unlike other project management software, we focus on this audience or we're less expensive. You, you've probably gone through this exercise a bunch yourself, uh, or, you know, seen others do it. Um, so that's assuming the category, like that, that's, already defined, decided for you. It's not really part of the positioning discussion. When I say it follows the product, positioning doesn't really guide the product roadmap itself. It's it's asking, what have we built? And then what's the best way to position this 
with our audience, with our buyers. Okay, so that type of exercise, um, it has its value. It's really a marketing exercise. Product teams not looking to the positioning work to figure out what it's going to build next. CEOs not doing that, looking at that work to figure out strategic decisions about the business. Okay. Switch to category design. Now, category design um, defines a new category or a new niche instead of assuming the category, and it guides the product, doesn't follow it. So when we go through a category design exercise, we're not thinking about marketing, we're thinking about the business. And we're saying, based on the problem that we're trying to solve, what, what's the name for that problem? And what's the name for a new kind of solution that's needed to solve that problem? And it's it it's not gonna be, it's a new term, it's a new idea. So we're, we're claiming a new space in the in the listener's mind about what we're doing with a specific choice about language. And we don't say like, unlike these other solutions and make the this kind of like line by line points of comparison, we're talking about something for its on its own terms, not in reference to other things. So that's that's designing the category. And then the guiding the product piece is when you define your category strategy, sure, you might already have a product that's built or in the process of being built, but building never stops. And the, the foundational work we do is in, in category design is called a, a point of view, a POV document. And it's a, it's, a, it's a strategic narrative that serves the entire business, guides the business on where to go. So the product team is and should be looking at that document to help it clarify and serve as a lens for what it needs to build and how their solution needs to be to evolve over time. The CEO is going to look at that document and think about how do I structure my company? What kind of partnerships do I need to create? What are other complementary solutions that can complete this category? And you can kind of go through that exercise from department to department, including marketing. But at the end of the day, Jason, it's a much more um, holistic and foundational exercise than uh, traditional uh, positioning might be. As we look at rounding off this interview, I wanted to get John's perspective on what category design looks like for different stages of businesses. You know, is there a difference in terms of your approach if you are working in a startup to if you're working into a well-established enterprise? I would think, or at least I thought going into the interview, that the best case scenario when it comes to category design is working in an early stage company, you know, blank slate, we go out there, we create something new. We're not having to deal with any baggage. But my personal experience working for large enterprise businesses and solution providers is that there is quite often the case where changing market trends or situations outside of your control force you as a business, otherwise successful business, to rethink how you position yourselves in the market. So, what does John think on that? Is category design different for different stages of business? Here he is. So when we talk with a business that has been around for a while and is is established, 
the outcome of what we're doing is the same, but the process is a little different. So unlike an early stage startup that's trying to build the right narrative and the right mobilization plan for something that they have already built or already ideated, an established business often recognizes that the category that they're in, it's maybe it's declining, maybe it's commoditized, or maybe they have aspirations to go beyond that. And their, their growth is capped by the bounds of that category. So what they really need is a lens for thinking about where they go next. And that's what our process allows them to do. We, we go back to that problem that you and I were talking about, and we can look at what are new problems that have come up you know, since you started the business or in the last few years, what are unsolved problems that your customers or people ancillary to that space are experiencing? And through that process is that brainstorming, we can identify these opportunities where new categories or niches are waiting to be created and waiting to be claimed. And so for those businesses, we actually are going even deeper than we are with a early stage startup. We're helping them discover where to innovate and how to be, how to think about radical di radical differentiation in a strategic and focused way where they can improve their odds of success and have confidence in the path that they're going down as opposed to spitballing or, you know, hoping for divine inspiration. You can learn more about John and category design by following him or connecting with him on LinkedIn. Just simply search John category design and he'll be the first option that you see you can also visit the website category design advisors and take part in free office hours that john runs where he will answer your questions on category design and category creation free of charge i will drop the links to both his profile and the website in the description of this episode And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. I just want to take an opportunity to say thank you so much for listening to this, particularly if you are a repeat listener to the podcast. I get so much great feedback from people on LinkedIn and sending me emails that they get value of any kind out of this podcast, which really just makes it all totally worthwhile. So thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me 20 minutes plus of your time this week. Um, if you want to learn more about me and the services that I offer as part of B2B Better, you can visit my website, www.b2b-better.com. If you could leave a rating, a review, or subscribe, it would mean so, so much. Um, I do all of this on my own, um, from research to the interview to the editing to the promotion. So everything that you do to help spread the word is massively, massively appreciated. And yeah, uh, I'll see you next week.